So back in October, I was able to go with my wife, my daughter, Lily, to Arizona to see my nephew uh, get married. He's at a a really struggling church in Phoenix, Arizona. I think the church is up to about 30,000 now uh, with nine locations. So they're really struggling out there. And But uh, he's on staff there at the church, married a great girl, and it was just so great to go out there. So what we thought to do, let's go to a brand new church we've never been to. How many just like going somewhere you've never been before, you don't know anybody, you don't know the pastor, some of you are just weird like that. You're like, let's just try something new. So we said, hey, let's try something new. So we walk in. We didn't know anybody. We were completely new. We walk in. And, and, and some of you, you, you remember that. Or maybe you're new here today. And you walk into that new place. And you're just insecure, right? If you're, if you're like me, it, it takes me a while to kind of warm up. You know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what this church is like, you know. So we walk in and... and uh, you know, people walk in and then they walk right up to him and say, oh, are you new here? And I go, is it that obvious? Is it that obvious that we are new? So we walked in and, and all of a sudden we get in there, they just yell out, we've got newbies here. Like they totally embarrassed. No, I'm just teasing. They didn't do that. But they gave us a bulletin. Their greeters did great. So as a pastor, I'm checking out everything they do. Like, okay, how did they greet us? Okay, they did a pretty good job there, right? Did, you know, did we find a place to sit? sit? Okay, were people nice to us? And, and, you know, so everything it went great. But it's just that, that, that insecurity of being um, in, a, in a new place that you're not familiar with. My daughter, Lily, speaking of her, is... Uh, learning to drive. Let's stop and pray right now. Father God, help me. Uh, and she got a permit last year. And uh, so she's learning to drive. She's a new driver. She's a newbie. She's a new driver. Uh, so uh, I just want to warn you now, just stay off the sidewalks and you'll be okay. But she uh, she's taking driver's ed and she's doing, she's doing pretty good. And uh, and she wants to eventually get her license. She keeps bugging me to get her driver's test scheduled. It's never going to happen. So, uh, no, she's doing good. And we're going to definitely schedule that. Here, here's the thing. How many of you know when you're new to something, you, you have a more heightened sense of awareness? You, you're, you're, you're more self-conscious. You, you, you want to do the right things. You're... You're just conscious of it. And then when you become more familiar with something and the more you do something, you kind of, you get used to it. And when something like that happens, we can tend to let our guard down. And when we let our guard down, what can begin to happen is we stop growing. And here's the danger within Christianity the danger is even with our relationship with Jesus, when you start that relationship with Jesus, sometimes it's fresh. And some of you may think back that maybe some of you have just begun your faith walk with Jesus and it's exciting and everything's great. And remember when you, you, know, you start going to the church, and it's like everything is, is great and wonderful. And when you start driving, everything is great and wonderful until you realize there's nutty drivers out there. And, you know, and then you go to a church long and you're like, well, this church isn't as perfect as I thought it was. Or maybe you get married and everything's wonderful. What? 
wonderful, right? And you're infatuated. And all of a sudden, the longer you get married, you're like, man, you leave your socks on the floor a lot, right? You leave the toilet seat up all the time. You know, what is going on here? You know, and it's all of a sudden, this veneer, this facade kind of goes off. And you're like, this isn't as great as I thought. Here's the danger. Here's the danger we can run into. And this is why we're starting this series called I'm New Here. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through line by line on Romans chapter 8. I, I love the book of Romans, but Romans chapter 8 has to be one of my ultimate favorite chapters in the Bible. And what, what Paul does is the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, and he's writing them to Christians who are struggling with each other. They're, they're struggling with the do's and don'ts. They're, many of them are new to Christianity. They're, there is this growing church in Rome, that Paul writes this letter to, and, he, and he's trying to instruct them and encourage them to keep growing in their walk with the Lord and not get comfortable with each other, uh, not get caught up in these rules and regulations that will tank or shipwreck their faith with the Lord. And what you're going to see, especially through chapter 8, is the Apostle Paul talks a lot about freedom in the Holy Spirit. And I think what can happen is it's like when you don't put water in your cereal bowl and you leave it overnight. It gets crusty, doesn't it? And you can't scrape it off, especially if you're like me and you like cocoa pebbles. You just can't, you just can't scrape it off. It just, it's on there and it's like concrete and you got to soak it. What can happen in our Christian life is we can just become crusty. We can get used to going through the same things. I go to the same church. You know, I read my Bible every day. I do this thing. And what can happen is we can lose the vitality of the Holy Spirit breathing new life into us. Do you realize that God desires us to have a vibrant walk with him every single day? But the thing that has to occur in our life is that we need a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit consistently in our lives or we can fall into this mundaneness and crustiness that isn't what God desires for us. So what Paul does in, in Romans chapter 8 is he breathes life into these Christians saying, this is how you do it. This is how you keep vitality in your walk with the Lord. So, so let me give you a little, let me give, just give you a little background uh, to, the, to the book of Romans because um, it's so foundational to our walk with the Lord. This chapter was so instrumental uh, in my uh, early days as starting to follow Christ when I became a Christian at age 16. It helps us battle with our selfishness. It gives us hope over the guilt of our past, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It will show us how to have peace in the midst of, of trials. Um, and what Paul says and what he's going to encourage his listeners and for us here today is that as we grow in the Lord, we begin to exchange things. We used to think this way, but now we think this way. And hopefully you can look back a year ago in your walk with the Lord, maybe two years ago, and hopefully you, you can see growth and you can see progress and depth in your walk with the Lord. So whether you're new to Christianity or have been a follower for Jesus for a long time, I believe Romans 8 is going to be beneficial for all of us. So Paul, he writes this letter while he's in Corinth in Greece um, he writes this during his third missionary journey, and uh, Paul hoped to travel to Rome and then eventually to Spain. And we know he does eventually get there, but not, we, we, you know, eventually in his travels, we see 
his longing to just continue to spread um, the gospel. So he writes this letter while he's in, in Corinth. And uh, it's during the time uh, that Rome is just a large city. It's about a million people live there. They have this advanced aqueduct system, huge sewer system. It's just, it's just a growing, very, very large city. So within um, the city, you have this group of both Gentile and Jewish Christians that are living there. And there's a little problem uh, with them kind of getting along and, and going back to some works and the law. And Paul's trying to address these things. And he addresses them and he addresses this growing church in Rome. And he writes this letter to them. And in, in this letter, he addresses some issues the church was facing. And one thing that they were facing is whether or not Gentile Christians, and basically Gentile Christians, someone who's not Jewish, a Gentile Christian, should they be following the traditions that the Jews are following. And one of the traditions would be found in the Old Testament law, especially should we observe these dietary laws. And so in the Old Testament, the Jews were to follow some of these dietary laws. And basically there was like, you know, you couldn't eat bacon, uh, no sausage, um, no lobsters. And I'm like, no way. I mean, I just like, I don't want to sign up then, you know? And so they're kind of like, what do we do with some of these things? And so Paul kind of addresses these things. And so Paul writes to them to discuss the foundation of their salvation is not to let the law, the do's and the don'ts to become mixed in with their salvation by faith in Christ. And we'll, we'll dig into that in just a moment. See, the gospel message, Paul is saying, should unite us in Christ and not actually divide us. And they were allowing these secondary issues to actually divide them. And so what Paul does, he writes them and say, listen, don't allow these secondary issues of dietary issues and ceremonial laws to divide you in Christ. In fact, in Christ, in your faith in Christ, it should be unifying the church to go forward in, in power. And so there's this struggle about what they should and shouldn't do as followers in Christ as it pertained to the Old Testament law. And this is where we can get tripped up many times, even in Christianity. We get tripped up on these secondary issues. And we understand as we read through the Word of God, there's these essential issues that lead us to a salvation in Christ Jesus. That's his virgin birth, inerrancy of Scripture, that Jesus is God. These, these are we, we would call these close-fisted um, doctrines. These are things that you don't want to mess with. Otherwise, they will mess up your salvation and your faith in Christ Jesus. We believe in faith alone, through God's grace alone, that you're saved. It's not by your works, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but what, what begins to happen is we begin to take these other things, these dietary laws, and say, well, you have to do these things. And in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to do these things. And Paul is, is, is saying, no, that's the Old Testament. Je Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill these things. Those things have no bearing on your salvation anymore. And so the gospel message should unite us. So, so what Paul does is he starts off in Romans chapter 8 and talking about for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. So what Paul is saying, listen, what, what begins to happen with these, with these laws and so on and so forth is people would use them to, to heap condemnation on others. Like saying, if you don't do these things, you're not close to Jesus. Or, or maybe your salvation really isn't true. And it caused a lot of guilt and condemnation for people that kept them from actually growing in the Lord. So let's read what Paul says here. Let's see what Paul says. These are some really life-giving words. And hopefully it will... 
uh, help us to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. So he starts in Romans chapter 8, verses 1, 1 through 4. He says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has done what? It's freed you. It's freed you. The law will condemn you, but the spirit will free you from the power of sin that leads to death. So Paul is saying the law cannot free you from the sin that leads to death. Only the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit can do that. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. This is such wonderful freeing words. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And that, and that in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled and satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow what? The spirit. There's the difference. A life that's following Jesus is a life that is led by the spirit, not the law. And so this is what Paul drills down on. So what Paul start, what Paul starts saying is this. He starts by saying, he says, so now there is no condemnation. So what Paul is doing is he's actually referring back to what he was previously writing in the previous chapter in, in chapter seven. So I, I want to bring this out because this will make, this will help bring more light on, on uh, chapter eight. Back in verse seven, Paul becomes very real and raw about his struggles. This is what I love about Paul, but he doesn't hide them. He doesn't say that he doesn't struggle with these things, but he becomes very real and raw with his struggle. And so what he says for us in, in Romans seven fifteen, he says, you know what? I don't really understand myself for. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. We've all been in that, right? We know what to do. Right? Have you ever done that where you, 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 you get in an argument with somebody and you're like, I never meant to say that. Well, yeah, you did. You said it, right? Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but you said it. Why? Why? It's our sinful nature. It's our flesh, right? We're like, man, I know I shouldn't lose my patience, Right? I know I shouldn't get upset about this, but then we do. And we're like, why did I? And then, then what happens? You feel what? Guilty. And then somebody reminds you of your guilt. You call yourself a Christian. Let me show you some passages in the word of God to speak to your heart, mister. Right? Oh, and then you're like, you just feel like, okay, I'm just worst person in the world. And then there's heaping more guilt. So, so Paul understands this. He goes on and he says in, in verse 21, 25 of Romans 7, he says, I have discovered this principle in life. This is what I've discovered. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God. I love God's law with all my heart, meaning I want to do what's right. I know what God requires of me. 
But this, there's this other power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then Paul exclaims, he doesn't leave us there. He says, thank God. The answer is in a self-help book. The answer is in one, two, three, this is what you do. Where's the answer to our miserable selves? Everybody, let's say it together. Jesus Christ, okay? He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, so, so, he says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really do want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So we can relate to Paul. We know that we're in a battle. We, we know that what we should do, but then we don't do. And it's a struggle that we have in our lives. And it's this battle with our flesh. And so Paul calls it for what it is. How can I overcome the guilt of not doing what is right? How can we live actually holy lives within an unholy world without trying to depend on the law to make me righteous? Because there is no way because... I'm going to feel good about myself one day and then I'm going to, I'm going to do something wrong the next day. And then there's this cycle of guilt and feeling good about myself, guilt, feeling good about myself, guilt. And it's just this up and down roller coaster ride. And so we all battle with this. We feel at times we do good things and we hear people compliment us and, and we, we feel good and we say to ourselves, wow, I, I guess I'm a pretty good person. You ever like with your kids, like somebody will say to you, boy, your kids are so polite. It was just a pleasure to have them over our house. I'm like, what kids are you talking about? My kids, right? You're just, you know, you're, you're like, you know, and then, then you kind of feel like, well, maybe, you know, the day before you're screaming at your kids for something they're not doing. You're like, I'm the worst parent in the world. And then somebody compliments your kids and you're like, they get a note from the teacher like, oh, you know, they did so good. And they're like, what? So we feel good and then we feel bad because we, it's this up and down, you know, roller coaster. We, we come to church, we feel good. I went to church, man, I went to the early service during daylight savings. There's got to, is there something in heaven for that? There's got to be some gold star, some check mark I get. Um, you know, you think, well, I help around the church and, 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 and then this happens, you know, you're, you're, you're driving home from church and, you know, the pastor, you know, we speak on patience and then, and then you get impatient with somebody that's driving too slow in front of you or somebody that cuts you off. And then your spouse reminds you, didn't you even hear what the pastor talked about? Wasn't he talking about patience? How fast did that stick? That didn't stick, did it, right? And then what happens? More guilt. You know, or maybe if this ever happened to you, you're driving to church and you get in a disagreement with your spouse. In the car, driving to church. You have a disagreement. Then you walk in, you got all these friendly greeters. Ruth Brooks is right there saying, praise the Lord, how you doing? And you just got an argument, right? And you're like, do I put on the fake hallelujah you know, I'm, you know, hashtag blast. What do I do here? Do I, do I fake it? We come in and you're just like, you're smiling and you're like, I'm going to tell Ruth Brooks right now what you said to me in the car, right? I'm going to, I'm going to tell him right now. And you're, you're gritting your teeth and you sit, right? And then it's like, it's, then you sit there and then the first worship song is all about what you guys argued about in the car. And you're like, oh man, more guilt. Really? God, really? And then you got more guilt. You know, it's, I, you know, or maybe it's, you have kids and you just get impatient with your kids. 
you know, and, and, you know, our kids, it was always like the bedtime struggle, right? It was always, and, you know, in the summertime, our windows would be open and I would hear our kids scrum, you know, we want to get into bed and you'd hear them, you know, upstairs. And I was, I was like, go to bed, you know, and then I forget, you know, and if I told you once, I told you twice, get in your beds. And I'm thinking, man, I think the neighbors are outside in their back porch. They're probably thinking, is that guy a pastor, right? He's screaming at his kids, tell him to get to bed. You know, you're going to call the police. What's going on here, you know? Um, and then more guilt, right? You got, we have more and more and more guilt. And then we think to ourselves, what a mess am I? What a mess am I? I'm, I mean, you know, and this is what Paul is talking about. How do we overcome the guilt of of doing good and then messing up. And how do we get off that merry-go-round? And the answer is easy. Do, do you want the answer? Are you ready? The answer is easy. Very easy. Here you go. We can't. So let's just pray and go home. Lord, no, there, there is an answer. Paul, Paul does give us the answer to this. And this is what he says. Only in Christ can we overcome the guilt of not being good enough. Listen, listen. Only in Christ. Listen, not in the law. Don't, now, don't put your trust in just trying to be a good person. That's not going to do it because you'll fall short every time. Now, 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 let me stop. Let me stop. Does that mean we can just do whatever we want and live sinful lifestyles? No, that's not what he's saying. We, we, we should want to do good works in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10. That's what God has created us for. But what's happening here is these believers were, were using their good works by what they were doing by the law to try to prove something about their righteousness. And Paul says, no, that will only bring more guilt upon your life. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. If you're going to try to find your righteousness through the law... You're going to be on that merry-go-round. You're going to be on that roller coaster of guilt, good, guilt, good, guilt, good, guilt, good, guilt, good. It's not, it's not going to work. You can't do it in your own strength for this reason. We will always make mistakes. We will always make mistakes. Let, let's, just, let's just take a deep breath here for a moment. You're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. Can we cut each other a little slack? I'll tell you what, Christians sometimes can be the worst at this. Because we have so much expectations. And when somebody does something that we don't like, the minute, the first thing we go to is, right, you call yourself a Christian, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're never going to be as good as we want to be. We will never please everyone. Someone is always going to not like maybe something that you do. Even if you think it's a good thing, they're going to, they might pick it apart. They might pick apart your motives and you're like, well, that wasn't my heart. That wasn't my motives. And they may walk away and never try to reconcile that relationship. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish that person would have just understood my heart, but they walked away thinking what they want to walk away and you can't even reconcile it. You know what? There's nothing you can really do about that. 
You know what your heart is before the Lord, and you're not going to please everyone. People are going to judge your motives. They're going to fill in the gaps with what they want to fill the gaps in with, and you're not going to please everyone. So what, what does Paul say? How do we deal with that? Because that can drive you nuts, can't it? That can drive you crazy, like thinking, man, what did that person think? Or why do they think that way? Or blah, 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 blah. Or did they misunderstand me? I mean, that, that kind of stuff can drive you crazy. But here's, here's the first verse. The first four verses in Romans 8 helps us here. It says, how can we overcome the battle of guilt and condemnation and not being good enough? Well, Paul doesn't say, you know, good luck with your guilt. Have fun trying to overcome your guilt. God is really ticked off at you. You better shape up. Is that what he says? No. We understand that guilt is a horrible thing. It keeps us up at night when someone else makes us feel guilty. Or, or when you're guilted into doing something. Isn't that fun? See, or, or when your past is brought up in an argument to hold it over your head. So what does Paul say here? Well, Paul says there's no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the beginning of chapter eight, 8 is like a breath of fresh air. And this is where Paul says our hope is. So, so let's answer two questions that Paul addresses in these first verses. The, the question is, how do, we, how do we win the battle over sin and, and ultimately be, be set free from guilt? So how do we do that? That's the first question. How do we win the battle over sin and how are we set free from guilt? And so what, what sets us free from the guilt of sin. And so, and so Paul, Paul, Paul understands this. Paul, when he comes to Christ, a lot of his past life is just stripped away in, in his wrong thinking about what it meant to be a God follower. See, before Paul came to Christ, he was trying to be a good person through the law. However, it didn't work. He was trying to do it in his own strength. This thing couldn't set him free. It, would, it drove him nuts. He goes, man, I was the best of the best of the best, the religious of the religious, the blah, 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 blah. But it just couldn't set him free. It didn't work. As hard as Paul tried, he was still defeated by sin. And the only answer was Jesus. And so Paul said, it wasn't the law. I couldn't find freedom in the law. It was me actually doing it myself. So, so here's the thing I want you to understand. It, it's through Christ, Paul says, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that sets us free from the power of sin, shame, and guilt. It, it's, it's, it's the power of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit that sets us free from trying to be good enough in ourselves. It's Christ that does that. See, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit works alongside us as we walk with Christ. The, the Holy Spirit within us gives us the power to overcome those things, overcome that past, that guilt, that, that, that shame. See, in Christ Jesus, he took all that shame and that guilt upon the cross. So th- that was the difference for Paul, and that's the difference f- for us. Um, so, so how can we not be condemned? So Paul tells his listeners, listen, it's not by keeping the law that makes you, that makes you forgiven. So he says, just by you doing all these good works and trying to feel good about yourself and trying to make up for your guilt, that's not going to ultimately work for you. 
The law was never meant to do that. It could only point to your sin and make, and actually make you feel more guilt. It, it, it was, it, it, it just showed us how far apart we were from God. That in our own good works, we could never please God. That we could never completely fulfill the righteous demands of God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come for good people. If, if, if that were the case, Jesus would have never came. He would never come. Jesus came for sinners. And so Christ came to fulfill the demands of a righteous God and all his laws and pay the penalty for our sin. And it's interesting how we try to deal with that stain of guilt on our lives because of the wrong things we do. In fact, there's some interesting things here on, on how people try to deal with their guilt. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but since 1811, the Treasury Department of the United States has maintained a thing called, called the Conscience Fund. And, and, and what this is, is it's money that you can send to the government because you feel guilty that you ripped the government off of something. In fact, the first year was open in 1811, $5 came in. Somebody sent the government $5. So let me, uh, in 2013, a million dollars came in. Some money's come in anonymously, some come in with a letter. And here's some actual letters. One person wrote in and gave a check for $1,300 for tools, leave days, and some other things he stole while in the Navy. He sent it to this country because the guilt was so heavy. He goes, I'm going to send this money. One, one gentleman uh, sent a check into the IRS for $1,000 and with a note. He said, listen, I can't sleep, so here's a check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I will send in the rest. There you go. See, <laughs> see the, you, you know, that's the right thing. How I many you know we need to pay our taxes? We need to do the right thing. That's the right thing to do. But this is how people feel that they can deal with their guilt. I, I want you to understand that Jesus paid for our guilt through his death on the cross, ultimately. Because underneath all that is sin. The reason we feel guilty is because of sin. That, that, that's the guilt that comes with sin. So the moral of this story is, is pay your taxes because if you don't, you're breaking the law, right? So pay your taxes. See, when I put my faith in Christ and find forgiveness through him, I, what Paul says is I am no longer guilty of that sin. God's judgment is no longer pointed at me and that frees me. So when I'm in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in my life. There's this freedom that I'm no longer guilty and I can walk in that freedom and that clear conscience that I've been forgiven. So the question is, let me just finish with this. How, how can I know the difference between conviction of God and condemnation or guilt? Isn't that the tough one? That's the tough one. How do I know the difference between whether or not the Lord is convicting me about something in my life. That doesn't mean that, that God is condemning us, right? But he's convicting us of something that's not in line with his will. And how many know that the Holy Spirit will convict us in our lives are things that are not lined up with the Lord. And that's good. Con, con, you know, that conviction is, is good from the Holy Spirit because that means there's something in my life. And I want to have, how many of you know, all of us know as followers of Jesus, we want to have a tender heart towards the Lord. 
that when I'm reading God's word and something that I'm doing is not lining up with God's word. And they're like, man, I don't, whew, that's, I, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Hmm. I'm definitely not living that way. And, 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 and if I claim to be a follower of Jesus and this isn't lining up, God is speaking to my heart. How many know that God wants us to line up because he loves us and he doesn't want to live for us out of alignment of his will. Amen. So, so let's understand the, the, the difference here because what Paul is saying, there's no more condemnation or guilt for those who are in Christ. How does that look? How do we know the difference? Because guilt from our past can really trip us up and keep us in bondage. It's like that person from your past that you knew in your BC days before Christ days. And they come up to you and they say, man, you were wild and you were a partier and you know, you're a what now? You're, you go to church? Come on. You stop doing all that stuff? Come on, right? You used to, and, and they bring up the guilt of, of your past. And then, and, then, and then you might be thinking to yourself, which causes doubt. Am I really different? Can I know the difference from my guilt and my past from the conviction of God? So let me, let me, let me give you a couple of things here. Always remember this, that when conviction comes from God, it will always lead you closer to him. Always. When there's a conviction from God, he wants to draw you closer to him. And, and how that happens is through confession. And see, guilt will always, always lead you away from God. See, God doesn't convict your heart so that you will run away from him and, and hide in your sin. In fact, the conviction of God is to shed light on that sin or that disobedience in your life, so that it will draw you closer to him. That's why the word of God says that if we confess our sins, right, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is good. Lord, forgive me of this. I I know that you love me. You even love me in this state. I, I know I messed up, but you still love me and I want to give this to you and I don't want to remain in this thing because I know it's harming my relationship with you. So it would always draw you closer. Conviction, conviction of the Holy Spirit always moves, moves us forward. Guilt will hold you back. Guilt will literally paralyze you. It will keep you from growing. It will keep you from reading Maybe the Bible will keep you from saying, I don't know if I want to, you know, really go to church today. I don't want, it would just, that guilt will, will, will hold you captive where the conviction of the Holy Spirit will move you forward. We'll will want you to, to want more of Jesus and a relationship with him. Understand that guilt will try to hide the offense. Guilt will try to justify the offense. Well, it's not that bad. Other people do it. Mm, That's not a good place to be. But conviction from God will seek for his forgiveness. And so, and so let me give, let me just give a word for those of you who are still living in your past, still living with shame and guilt over your past failures that you may be just out of the blue. You're just like, let, let me just, can I be honest with you this morning? You might be worshiping God in a worship song. You have your hands raised and you are just worshiping. And all of a sudden something gets dropped in your mind about your past or your past failures. And all of a sudden it just puts a weight on your spirit. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. 
Or maybe you're just worshiping the Lord and you're like singing this song. You're like, man, this is so good. And God, you're so good and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you're reminded of something you did over the past week that wasn't so good. That's guilt. That's the enemy. God says, listen, I know what you did. I know your past. And guess what? I still received you. I still loved you. I still want to forgive you and heal you. But you got to come to me. Don't justify your guilt. Don't hide your past. I know it. It's all right. Just confess it to me. And I'm going to heal you of it. And in me, I'm not going to hold that over your head any longer. Maybe somebody else will. The enemy definitely will. But I won't. As far as the east is from the west, so have I moved your transgressions from you. I am terrified of heights. Honestly, I don't like it. If we were in New York City um, in, the, in November, and we went up to uh, Empire State Building, and we're like on the 82nd floor, whatever it is, on the observation tower. If any of you have ever been there, or the World Trade, you know, the maybe you've been up high, like the Freedom Tower or whatever. How, how many of you just, you're like, you're cool with it? I'm like, you're nuts. I'm looking down and my knees, I start to get sweaty and my knees start to, I'm like, ah, I can't. can't." And I can't believe the people that help build those buildings, those skyscrapers and are off just, it just, it it terrifies me. I got a picture here of a glass bridge in China that this guy is terrified walking over this because he's looking down. They actually have some that will do like this thing where they, it pretends like the glass will break. So as you're walking across it, the glass, and people, if you YouTube it, people are literally freaking out as they walk across. And actually, that would be me right there, I think. That would be why people would pay money to do that and just to be, I don't know. I don't know why they would do that, but some people, that's, 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 that's me. You're told when you're climbing a ladder, don't look what? Don't look down, right? Don't look down. What happens when you look down? Fear grips your heart. Guilt, listen, best thing you're going to hear all day. Guilt will cause you to look down and to look back. Because what guilt does, it grips your heart with fear and it keeps you moving forward in who you are in Christ Jesus. Even, even in our unrighteous state, like Paul says, I can still move forward in Christ Jesus because in him, I'm not condemned. Yes, I'm going to make mistakes, but I can find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Yes, I I can't please everybody, but in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Guilt will freeze you just like that man on that glass bridge. It will grip your heart with fear. I love these words of Paul. We're going to finish here. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Here's what Paul says. The apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the apostle Paul says this. I love it. 
He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached what? I'm not there. It's a process of sanctification. But he says, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But what does he do? I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, and I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. I love that. That's encouraging. For some of you that are battling with guilt, for some of you that are battling with your, with your past, um, I would encourage you that in Christ Jesus to look forward, to press on, to keep moving. Don't look back. Don't look down. It'll grip your heart and it will freeze you from being the person that Christ desires you to be. Let Christ forgive you and then let the forgiveness that Christ has poured out into your life. Would you do that for other people? Could you do that? Could you give grace to other people? Could you forgive? That's pressing on. That's pressing on. I'm not going to hold on to this bitterness anymore because I know it's only the poison I'm drinking. That's it. I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm going to move forward. It doesn't justify what anybody did. That's between them and the Lord. But for you, you need to move on. And some of you are stuck today. You're stuck. You're stuck in your past. You're stuck in your guilt. You're stuck. You're stuck in the mud. Christ tells you to move forward and to move on. Let forgiveness flow. Let the forgiveness of God flow into your heart as forgiveness flows out to others. Let Christ move you forward. And you can only do that through the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit, which gives you the freedom to keep walking forward. Trying to be good will never do that. It won't work. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us that we can find freedom today. So Father God, as we bow our hearts before you today, I just pray for those that are just struggling today or for those that are just battling with their past, God. I thank you for these life-giving words that we have um, seen in your word today. I pray for those that um, just have heavy hearts today that feel like they're not good enough. Lord, I pray that you would break those chains of their past that they would find themselves in you, Christ Jesus, and that, God, you would just give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, a renewal, a new sense of who we are in Jesus. That, yes, we've disobeyed you. Yes, we've fallen short of you. But I thank you that there's forgiveness in Christ, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has already done and accomplished for us. Help us to find ourselves in Jesus today. Help us to pursue Jesus today. Help us to find our forgiveness in Jesus today. So we just, we just lay our hearts before you today. Help us to be gracious to each other. Help us to be forgiving. Just as you have forgiven us, may we forgive others. 
So we thank you, Jesus, for loving us and loving us in all our messiness, all our dysfunction. Thank you for loving us and using us for your glory. May that humble us as we strive to walk closer to you, Jesus. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.